0: So, um, today we'll be talking about the Sermon on the Mount and showing how these are not instructions for this age. And so I'm kind of doing kind of, I guess, a little mini-series, kind of piggybacking off the last two weeks where we've been in the book of Matthew. Uh, The first week we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and of course I called it the Disciples' Prayer because He's teaching them how to pray. It was not a prayer that the Lord ever prayed. Because in that prayer, he asked for forgiveness of sins. And of course, Jesus never sinned. And we talked about how that was a prayer that they would pray during the tribulation uh, period. And then two weeks ago, we talked about uh, Matthew 13 and the mysteries of the kingdom and some about the parables and uh, the reason for the parables. And uh, what Jesus was doing there, giving mysteries about the kingdom that the prophets didn't know. And so he was giving that to his disciples. He said it was for them to know uh, because they had believed him. And so this week, uh, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is another popular passage that many people go to. Um, I think it was the ATI program or maybe been a church thing growing up where we were supposed to memorize Matthew 5 through 7 and be able to quote it. Uh, of course, this is not instruction for today. So that was doing us no good in terms of knowing what we are to do today. So we'll be going through, uh, several verses uh, on this Sermon of the Mount. Uh, but the text verse is uh, 2 Corinthians five sixteen, where it says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. And so the point being, Christ came to minister to the circumcision in his earthly ministry. And that's what Paul's saying, right? We don't know any man after the flesh. We did at one time, as humanity knew Christ after the flesh during his earthly ministry. But henceforth, now knowing him no more after the flesh, we know him as the head of the body of Christ uh, as he is reigning in heavenly places right now. Um, and so, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, you have to go back to Matthew 4. Um, in verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is after he's been in the wilderness and was tempted of Satan. Uh, he begins his ministry. And he begins his ministry preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, Jesus is preaching the kingdom of heaven. And so that kind of starts the context of Matthew 5. If you go to Matthew four twenty three through 24, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he's, again, teaching and preaching this gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, and his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy, and he healed them so this again this is Jesus' ministry, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing people he's healing all manner of people's sickness, uh, and that's important to note. Because this isn't happening today. We aren't given a healing ministry. Uh, but that's in relation to the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, it's not going to be a lot of sick people in Christ's kingdom. right? That's why he's healing them. Because sickness will be done away with in the kingdom uh, that Christ brings. Uh, and you see this in Isaiah 33, verse 20 through 24. It says, look upon Zion, the city of our salt." Solomon, solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us, a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars. Neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. He will save us. Thy tacklings are loose. They can. They could not well strengthen their mass. They could not spread the cell. Then as the prey of a great spoil divided, the lame take the prey. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. So notice that last phrase. Again, this is a prophecy of the kingdom. And when the Lord's reigning on earth, uh, verse 24, it says, The inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. That's because they would be healed in the kingdom, entering into the kingdom. So that's the reason for Jesus' healing ministry. That's why he healed people, right? Because the kingdom's at hand, and there would not be a bunch of sick, believing Jews going into the kingdom. Uh, also, in Matthew five, uh, four, verse twenty-five, he said, "And there followed him a great multitude of people, from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan." So you have a great multitude following Jesus from these different uh, cities, and if you look on a map, all these cities are in israel right jerusalem judea um, galilee decapolis the river jordan all these is the region of israel right the nation of israel and so it's clear again jesus ministry is to the nation of israel that's what's going on here Uh, and then also just give a little more context to matthew 5 through 7 Uh, the word kingdom kingdom of heaven kingdom of god is mentioned nine times in these two chapters So again, that gives you the context of what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with the kingdom and how it's at hand. So that gives you a little bit of the context here of uh, Matthew 5. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry. He's preaching the kingdom. He's healing people, which is in relation to the kingdom being at hand. And he has a multitude of Israelites, Jews, that are following him. And So you come to Matthew 5. And of course, uh, it says, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Um, so he's teaching his disciples here. Right? This message is to his disciples. Um, but we're going to hit some of the high points or points that people often preach on, messages you hear preached on, within these three chapters. And of course, the first is the Beatitudes that are found in Matthew 3 through 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So here, what you have is blessing based on people's actions, right? Based on what they do, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek, those which hunger after righteousness. So it's blessing being given based on people's actions. Um, Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28 under the law, you got blessing by, of course, obeying the law. And you had curses for those who would disobey the law. Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28, it says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. So Of course, under the law, you had uh, blessings if you kept it and a curse if you disobeyed it. And so here in the Beatitudes, you have people, if they have a certain spirit or right, if they pursue righteousness, they're going to get the blessing, right? Um, we today, as members of the body of Christ, Paul says, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin, right? That's how we are blessed today, because Christ is not imputing sin to us. Uh, Romans 4, which let's found Romans 4, 5-8. So nowhere in Paul's epistles do you find, right, you'll be blessed if you do this, or you'll be blessed if you have this spirit. He teaches that we are blessed. Uh, in verse 5, it says, but To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Down in verse 8, blesses the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Uh, And of course, he's quoting David there. And so, his point being, right, we have righteousness imputed to us, forgiveness of sins, based on what Christ did, right, and faith in that. And blessed are we because we can have these blessings just by having faith in uh, the work that Christ did on the cross. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So you already possess all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. He's already blessed you with that uh, once you were saved. So again, you don't have to have a certain spirit. You don't have to pursue righteousness. Those are good things maybe to have, but you don't have to to get blessed, such as what is taught in the Beatitudes. Um, Also, it's interesting in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so that inheriting the earth is specific to Israel. Uh, it's actually a quote from Psalms 37, 11, which I'll read real quick, which to show you that Jesus is, again, teaching the law. Right? He's quoting now the Psalms and the prophets. Uh, it says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And so that's what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And of course, Israel is promised to reign over the earth in Jerusalem, right? They were promised a land, a city, and that they would be the ruling nation over the other nations. So that uh, promise of inheriting the earth is specific to the nation of Israel. Whereas members of the body of Christ, we are promised a position in the heavenly places. And this is found in Ephesians 2.6. We just read where we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so we will get those blessings. We already possess them spiritually, but we will actually possess them when we get our position in heavenly places. Uh, Ephesians 2.6, it says, He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we, as members of the body of Christ, have a position in the heavenly places. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 Verse 16 through 18, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Of course, that's what people refer to as the rapture, our being called up to ever be with the Lord where he is. Well, where is he at? He's in heaven now. Right, and so that's where our position is, as members of the body of Christ. And again, this is a, makes more sense when you understand, right, the manifold wisdom of God, the uh, plan of the dispensation of the ages to come, where you have Him redeeming all things in Christ, in the earth and in heaven. Right, and so the nation of Israel is how He redeems things on earth. The body of Christ is how He redeems things in heaven. So that's the difference. For Uh, the different positions, one being on earth and one being in heaven. So you have to be able to rightly divide that. Um, So that's the Beatitudes. You can see how there's a difference between uh, what Jesus is teaching, how it refers to Israel, and it's applicable to them, and it's different than what Paul teaches. Um, But Matthew 5.14, back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, the light of Israel was the law, which is clear in verse 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So the light here for Israel is good works, right? Um, Psalms 109, 105 through 106. David talks about how the law is a light into his path and a lamp into his feet, or a lamp into his feet and a light into his path. Uh, in Psalms 119, 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And so people might say, well, it doesn't say the law, right? It says the word of God. Well, if you read the next verse, he says, I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgment. Right? He's clearly talking about the law. He says, I will perform it. Well, you perform the law, right? You don't perform faith in the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? He did the work for us. But under the law, they had to perform it, right? They had to keep the righteous judgments of God. So that's what David's saying, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The law is a lamp unto his feet uh, and a light unto his path. Um, Isaiah 2, verse 3. And many people shall go and say, "Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob." And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So this has to do with the kingdom. What's going to go out of uh, out of Jerusalem is the law, right? Righteousness is what's going to come out of Jerusalem when Christ sits on the throne, and people are going to say, "Let's go to Jerusalem," right? Because uh, there is righteousness and the law of God there. And if you go to Isaiah 60 verse 3, it says the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. So this has to do with Israel being set up to reign over the other nations when Christ sets up his kingdom. And it says here, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Again, when that kingdom is set up, the law is what's coming out of it, right? Righteousness. And it's referred to as thy light, as Israel's light. So again, it's their law. Their good works. They're performing the law. This is what is a light that is being referred to here in Matthew 5. And, of course, we know this is different than uh, what we are taught today for us as members of the body of Christ. Um, We're not under the law. um, But we today shine as light not by keeping the law, not by performing good works, but by proclaiming the word of life. And Paul clearly says this in Philippians 2, verse 15 through 16. And so you'll see a difference here. Matthew 5 says, you're a light, and so men will see your good works uh, and glorify the Father. Paul says, uh, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So he says, "You shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life." So that's how you shine as the light by proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the word of life. Um, also in Second Corinthians four, verse four through six, it says, "In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light." The glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, here he refers to again the gospel of Christ as being the light, right? Unless the light of the gospel of Christ should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, very clearly, here the light is Jesus Christ, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And so again, we shine as lights today, not by performing good works or keeping the law, but by proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And so the, again, you have that difference there between uh, the Beatitudes or uh, the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul teaches. Uh, Matthew five seventeen 17-20, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I think it's very clear here, Jesus is teaching, you must keep the law, right? He says, if you break the least of the commandments, you're going to be the least person in the kingdom of heaven. Whereas if you keep the least of the commandments, uh, you'll be the greatest. So again, you have law keeping there. And he says, if your uh, righteousness does not exceed the scribes and Pharisees, you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So it's very clear here that he's teaching, uh, you have to keep the law if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, we know today from Romans 6.14, we're not under the law, right? We're under grace. In Galatians 4.9, Paul tells them, he says, why are you returning again to the weak and beggarly elements that put you in bondage? So Paul refers to the law as weak and beggarly, right? They can only require things of you. They can never actually fix you. Um, and so again, you see that difference there. Jesus, in the next uh, 27 verses, teaches true righteousness, uh, in verses 21 through 48, you see where he talks about, right? you've heard it said in old time, thou shalt not kill, and whatsoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without call shall be in danger of judgment. So he goes on to teach this true righteousness, and he deals with the heart. Right? True righteousness is what is in your heart, not just what you do on the outside. Right? He says you may not commit adultery, and commit the act, but if you looked on a woman to lust, you've committed it in your heart. Right. So he's going through teaching this true righteousness, and that's what he does in the rest of chapter 5. Um, whereas Paul teaches righteousness without the law, right? because it's Christ's righteousness. We need Christ's righteousness. And we find this in Romans 3, verse 21 through 25, where he says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. If you go to Romans 4.22, he says, And therefore it was imputed to him, speaking of Abraham, for righteousness. So Abraham's faith was imputed to him for righteousness. He says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then again in uh, Romans 5.17, He says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So Jesus teaches. You have to have a greater righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees. Right? You have to keep the law, and you not only keep it on the outside, but in your heart. right? Paul teaches you have to have Christ's righteousness because you can never obtain it. Right? And so that's the difference there. Our faith is in Christ, and he imputes righteousness to us. It says he gives us the gift of righteousness. right? It's a free gift that he gives. Again, we can never keep it in and of ourselves. Our faith is in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have righteousness imputed to us by our faith. So again you have that contrast there between the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul teaches. Um, if you go to Matthew six, we'll skip over the Lord's Prayer, since we covered that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but we will cover this again, where it talks about forgiveness, in Matthew six, fourteen through fifteen. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father Forgive your trespasses. And so here in this verse, your forgiveness is based on how you forgive others. Whereas today, we are forgiven through the blood of Christ, which is what Ephesians 1.7 says. Right? We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So you can clearly see that difference. If you want forgiveness, forgive, is what Jesus says. Paul says forgive because you already have forgiveness. So you can clearly see uh, that contrast there. Um, Matthew six, twenty five through thirty four. Uh, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life which ye shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body which you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They told not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow; for the morrow shall take the thought. For the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so in this uh, section, he's teaching, right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat, where, right, uh tomorrow. You just need to have faith in me. Seek the kingdom. Seek the righteousness of the kingdom, which he just covered in Matthew 5. It's keeping the law. right? And he says, I will add these things unto you. In other words, if you follow me, keep my law, prepare to enter into the kingdom, I'll provide your needs that you need. That's the teaching here. And again, you have people teach this in uh, churches on Sunday morning all the time. right? You just got to have enough faith. And God will provide your needs. Uh, They get it from this passage, whereas the message for us today is if you don't work, you don't eat, right? It's not. You got to have enough faith and just trust God to give you food. It's if you don't work, you're not going to eat, right? You have to provide for yourself. Um, We find this in 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, 10 through 12, where he says, for even when you were with for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now then, that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with their that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So the instruction here is: if you don't work, you don't eat. You need to work and provide for yourself and eat your own bread. Um, and then, if you go to First Timothy 5:8. He says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than the infidel. The infidel is simply an unbeliever. He says, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. So the instruction today is to provide for yourself, to work and eat your own bread. And so people might say, well, you're, you're teaching people not to trust in God, to provide their needs. No, the instruction is, trust the word of God. He has already given you everything you need. His instruction is, Work and buy your own bread. So if you're trusting in God and rightly dividing, your faith is in God, and he told you to work and buy your own bread. right? So you're still trusting in God. He's given you the instructions you need for today. You just got to follow them. right? Um, again, the instructions are different. The kingdom is not at hand today. Christ is not here on earth bringing in the kingdom. right? So we can't literally follow him, which is what they were doing here, and him do miracles for us. right? There's a difference there. Things have changed. So you can see that difference. Um, This teaching of selling all that you have and um, trusting in God to meet your daily needs um, is tied to the kingdom in the tribulation time period. Um, Just as God had once provided for Israel, thinking about in the wilderness when he gave them manna and the quail, he's going to do it again. You think about the miracles in Matthew 14, verse 15 through 20. This is what he means by follow me, right? Trust in me and I will provide your daily needs. It says, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place. And the time is now past; send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets. And they, had, they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. So it was over five thousand people that Jesus fed based off of these um, five loaves and two fishes. Again, this was his provision for them. They were following him, right? They were seeking the kingdom, listening to Jesus, so he provided for them, right? He met their need. Um, so again, it's specifically tied to that kingdom teaching. Um, Revelation twelve fourteen 14, in the tribulation, again, this will be applicable because the nation of Israel will not be able to buy and sell in the market because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. And so God will then again miraculously provide for them. In Revelation 12, 14, it says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And so the woman here is the nation of Israel and talks about her being in the wilderness and being nourished. Right? And that's God providing for them, like meeting their needs. And so again, you can see how this is tied to the kingdom and how it can be applicable to those who are going to enter into the kingdom but it's not applicable to us today god's not doing that today so we work and provide our own need Um, but this is why the disciples could sell all that they had and quit their jobs and follow christ literally right they were literally following christ on the earth um, because the kingdom was at hand you don't need a job you don't need a house when you're about to enter into the kingdom of god right that's the teaching that's why jesus is teaching this again this is not the case today if someone sells all that they have to do the ministry, they're going to end up asking others to give them money, which is what every missionary does. They don't actually go to the mission field and say, God's going to provide my needs. They spend two years, go around to every church and say, hey, can you give me enough money to where I can live over there? Right? There's a difference. That's not trusting God how they were doing here, to where he would miraculously give you the food and the clothes you need. Right? He wasn't miraculously providing money for the disciples. He was meeting their needs, giving them the food and the raiments that they needed so again, this is what was taught in the earthly ministry, Matthew thirteen forty four. 44. Uh, he gives a parable where he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Well, that's, of course, a parable. But the teaching is the kingdom is the field and it's at hand. And so if you find this treasure that's hid in the field, you're going to sell everything you have for that treasure. Well, the kingdom is the treasure. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to sell what you have and follow him to enter into that kingdom. Um, Luke eighteen twenty two, where he tells the rich ruler that he lacked one thing. He tells him. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he saith unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Again, a lot of people say, "Well, he just said that to you know expose this man's love for money." No, this is what this man had to do if he wanted to enter into the kingdom of heaven: was sell all he had and literally follow Christ. Right, but no, he loved this earth more than the kingdom, right? More than Jesus. Um, and then Luke 12, 22 through thirty four is very clear when he tells the little flock, he says, uh, let's see, verse 22, he says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. So this is very similar to what he teaches in Matthew 6. Uh, He says, What ye shall eat, neither for the body which ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to its stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you, Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so here in Luke, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that filleth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For your treasure is there where your heart be also. So again, the teaching is, if you're going to be truly dedicated to Christ and the ministry, you've got to sell everything you have here and follow him and pursue the kingdom, right? Pursue uh, Jesus Christ. So again, you can see how that's not applicable today, right? Because that's not what God is doing, right? He's put that ministry, that um, bringing in the kingdom on hold, right? Which was part of this mystery age that that would be put on hold and Israel would be set aside and we would have this dispensation of grace in the body of Christ. And so today, we are commanded to work with our hands and provide food for ourselves. Um, but continuing on, Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, where he says, and it shall be given you, seeking ye shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. For one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this is also a teaching for the kingdom and tribulation age, and it has to do with those who would seek God and abide in him, um, such as in John fifteen seven. not saying that as long as you trust God and ask for whatever, he's going to give it to you. You have to be seeking God and abiding in him. Um, and then the things you ask for are either your daily needs because you are following Christ. You sold everything you had, or it's going to be right, something for the ministry. Uh, but he says in John fifteen seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So again, there's a stipulation there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask will be done unto you, right? Because you're going to be asking for uh, the will of God. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. So here, same promise, right? You're going to pray unto me, I'm going to hear you. But he says, you'll seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. So again, they'll find and get what they ask for when they're searching for God with all their heart. So again, you can see the stipulations here. Psalms 145, verse 17 through 20. says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. So here again, those that fear him, right, those that call upon him in truth. Those are the ones that uh, will have their prayers answered. right? Those are the ones that he'll fulfill the desires of their heart. Because they're going to be seeking the will of God. Whereas today, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 26, we don't know what we ought to pray for. Right? You can be saved, you can have the Spirit in you, but you still don't know what you ought to pray for, right? Um, in Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul says to make your prayers and supplications unto the Lord... But he doesn't say he promises to give you the desires of your heart. Uh, he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So the instruction for us today is make your supplications and request to God, and he'll give you peace. Right? You can trust in him, he doesn't promise to answer it, but you can find peace in knowing that he does hear you, Right? and that you can uh, pray to him and make supplications unto him. So again, you can see that that difference there between what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and the instructions we receive from Paul. Uh, Matthew seven fifteen through twenty. He says, "Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So this is an instruction on false teachers or false prophets. Jesus says you will know false prophets by their fruits. And again, this is a teaching under the law. Uh, Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist tells the Pharisees, He says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. So if you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. John through 14 Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So it's very clear here that if you want to abide in Christ and be his friend, you have to keep his commandments, right? Um, So the point being here, those who bear fruit, those who abide in Christ under this dispensation, under the kingdom are those who are keeping the law and keeping the commandments that Christ commanded. Um, so that's how you would know a false prophet. Are they keeping Christ's commandments, right? Are they keeping the law? Um, do they have the good fruit of the law? Um, also in 1 John 2, 3-8, through very similar. He says, And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, He abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth, he that saith he is in the light, and he of his brother is in darkness even until now. So again, he's saying, how do you know that you know Christ? By keeping his commandments. Right? He says, if someone says they know Christ, but aren't keeping his commandments, that person's a liar. So it's the same principle here. That's the fruit is the commandment keeping. right? Um, whereas today, we know a false prophet by what they say not by what they do. Um, In Acts 20, Paul warns the people at Ephesus that false teachers would come, and he doesn't say they're not going to keep the law, and so you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, He says they're going to speak diverse things, right? Um, There in Acts 20, verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So notice this after Paul departs. Why is that? Because Paul is the one teaching, right? He's the one preaching, proclaiming the truth. So after he departs, you're going to have false teachers because Paul's not there to set the doctrine straight. So he's dealing here with what is spoken with the doctrine. Uh, Verse 30, he says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, but by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So who are the false teachers here, and how do you know them? It's by them speaking diverse things and drawing away people. It's by what they say, what they teach. That's how you know a false prophet today, or a false teacher. If it's contrary to the word of God, rightly divide it, then they're a false teacher. Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So again, the false people here, the people that trouble them, are those that would pervert the gospel of Christ. Right? If any man preach another gospel, let him be accursed. And so again, the false teacher is not the one that has bad actions, not the one that's not keeping the law, but the one that is corrupting right the gospel that was given to Paul, corrupting the truth. And then Second 2 Timothy 2:16 2, through 19. He says, "But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some." And so here you have again false teachers, right? He says these people are um false teachers because they're saying the resurrection is past already, right? And that was not true. So again, we knew Hymenaeus and Philetus were false teachers because of what they said, not because of what they did. And so again, that's the difference between being under the law and being under this dispensation of grace. And so hopefully that's a help to you when you study, um, maybe thinking about the earthly ministry of Christ. Again, it was to Israel. It had to do with the kingdom. It had to do with uh, keeping the law. And it is very much different than the instructions we receive As members of the body of Christ under grace in this dispensation. And so on the back of your page, I do have one more point, and that is you can have spiritual application from this Sermon on the Mount. So again, you have to be careful with spiritual application not to go too far or try to apply something that shouldn't be applied. Uh, But we can learn that righteousness, um, or we can learn what righteousness is from this Sermon on the Mount, right? Because Jesus does teach true righteousness. It's what's in your heart, right? And the law shows what is right from wrong. Romans seven twelve, right? Paul testifies to this. He says, wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So nowhere does Paul say the law is a bad thing, right? It's you putting yourself under the law is what's bad. The law is good, though. It shows you what is sin. It shows you your need for Christ. Um, this is what he says in 1 Timothy 1, 8. Says, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, right? Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, where well, you are a righteous man if you are in Christ, right? You have Christ's righteousness. So the law is not for you to keep. But the law is good for an unrighteous man or someone who thinks they're righteous but aren't, right? You can use the law to show them, hey, what you're doing is wrong, right? You shouldn't be doing that. That's sin, that's sin against God. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God, and we aren't seeking the kingdom of God to come to earth today, but we can take that spiritual application that we should seek first what the Lord would have us to do, right? We should seek the will of the Lord, and we can know what the will of the Lord is by studying the word of God rightly divided. Um, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 3, Paul says, If ye then be risen of Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. All right, so we should set our affection on spiritual things, on the will of God and what he would have us to do, right? And not on things of this earth, not on uh, fleshly, carnal things. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we didn't read this. But uh, Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew 7, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So again, what Jesus taught here is not for us today. So we aren't to hear and do what he taught here. Right? We have different instructions for this dispensation. But you can't take the spiritual application of, we do need to listen to what Jesus has said for us today through the Apostle Paul. right? And the person who established in the mystery of Christ in what God has given for us today can be likened to one that has built his house upon a rock. So again, you still have that uh, spiritual application. And Paul says this in Romans 16, 25, where he says, now to him that is power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. So again, we should know this mystery. We should know the revelation uh, of the gospel of the grace of God and we need to be established in that and then we would be likened to one that has built his house upon a rock. Colossians 2 7 or 2 6 Paul says as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk ye in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. So we need to be rooted and established in our faith in Christ Jesus. And so there is some spiritual application that you can make from any page of the Bible. You just have to be careful not to overreach that and make things what they are not. Uh, But any thoughts or questions?